From the time we are born, we are placed in a bubble. It may be a result of where we are born, the people we are around, or the information we are given. Our mission here on the Sports is a Job podcast is to pop the bubble and help everyone realize they control their own path. We will interview people working in sports to share their story and provide our take on sport industry topics. Hosted by Colby Castillo and Olivia Poutine. Welcome to the Sports is a Job podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports is a Job podcast journey of the working sports professional. I am one half of the podcast. My name is Colby Castillo, and we have a little change up for all of you today. Uh, I'd like to newly introduce, and she'll introduce herself in a little bit, but she will be the co-host for today. She's our new podcast producer. So if you could just please introduce yourself to everybody listening right now. Hi guys, I'm Alia. I am currently a junior studying sports media and broadcast journalism at Indiana University down in Bloomington. And I'm so excited to be about a part of today's podcast and I just can't wait for everything. Well, our special guest today is very special. Olivia is missing out. She wished she could have been here, especially because she's wanted to get into the, she's into sports information. But I'd like to introduce, and I have to say congratulations first off, because he just got a new position. Welcome to the podcast, Rob Knox. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm excited to, um, to spend some time with you all. So I'm honored that you guys felt, um, felt enough of me to uh, invite me to your podcast today. You got a new position, like I mentioned. Again, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So if you could Thank please you. let everybody know, you know, what is that current position and, and what will you be doing? Everything except for uh, selling popcorn, I think. But uh, <laughs> the new position I get, uh, the new uh, position I was blessed to uh, accept not too long ago was the Associate, uh, Associate Athletic Director for Strategic Communications at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Uh, so I'll be moving from Maryland to Greensboro. So I'm in that process now. Um, so essentially my role will be overseeing the entire, uh, communication unit for, uh, North Carolina Greensboro athletics. Uh, so overseeing sports information, overseeing video, uh, and, you know, just providing some, providing some mentorship, some guidance, some, uh, u- using my experiences, uh, throughout my career to, uh, really, uh, really try to elevate, uh, North Carolina Greensboro, um, athletics. To give a little context to everybody listening, and I don't want to make you feel old at all, but how many years exactly <laughs> have you been in the industry? I've been in the industry since uh, full time since 1999. 1999. So okay. 20, 21 years now. I, I don't make you feel old. I was born in 97. I, I, I was just to put it out there. I was born in 97. I'm 22 years old. You've been doing this thing longer than I've been born. So, I mean, it's an honor to have you on. I, I think a lot of people will get a lot of good information out of you. No worries, oh, Rob. Thank you. No worries. <laughs> Hopefully you can take the, take the kid noise out of it. My daughter is running around uh, like crazy. So, <laughs> No worries. So, you know, going back to your, your working full time, you know, if you could tell us, you know, what was your first experience in your taste of the sports industry? All right, so um, so that's interesting. Uh, I I started out working for the Philadelphia Enquirer as an intern back in 1994, 
And that was like 94, 95, and 95, 96 was like the best years ever because, you know, you're just young, you're just hungry, you're excited to be in the business. And uh, I was covering the high school sports in the county that I grew up in. And it also just so happened to be Kobe Bryant's junior year in high school. So, you know, so it, um, getting the opportunity, getting to meet some really great people, being in some great situations, covering high school um, girls basketball, boys basketball, uh, was was really um, a fun opportunity for me. And do, during those two years, you know, you just, you learned a lot, uh, especially like deadlines, how to structure a story, uh, what to look for. Uh, my editors uh, at the Philadelphia Inquirer was, were terrific. Uh, Lou Rubito and Joseph Laquito and, and Mike Jensen and Bill Doherty. They just all the time would just always um, challenge me to uh, to be better and say, this is good, but how can we make, how can we improve this? Sense? How can we improve this lead? How can you develop this lead a little bit more? So from there, you know, I just learned to, uh, to always look at, uh, a un look at stories through a unique lens to try to, uh, improve with, improve my words and paint more of a picture and be, and have more of a flow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you always know, I mean, you covered Kobe Bryant. Did, did you know he was going to be the star he is or he was, you know? Well, at, at that time, I, I did because I heard so much about him. Mm -hmm. But um, just, just to give you some background, one, I've always wanted to be a sports information director. Like, I, I mean, not sports information director. Well, that happened by accident. But I always wanted to be a sports reporter. That's what I wanted to do with my life. That's in high school, uh, college. That's all I wanted to do was be a sports reporter. So... When I got to the Chester intern at the Enquirer, uh, I'm from Chester. So in Chester, in Pennsylvania, Chester's one of the premier basketball program, high school boys basketball programs in the state uh, with their eight state championships. So to me, you know, we have this mindset sometimes in Chester that if you don't play in Chester, then, you know, how good are you really? And you got to prove yourself. So when I, um, when I got to the Enquirer and I started hearing about Kobe Bryant, I started seeing Kobe Bryant, I started reading about him. You know, my first start was, well, he plays at Lower Marion, so how good can he really be? Uh, I went out to see him, uh, like, the second second or third game of his junior year, and he scored 34 points, and they lost by two. He missed a shot at the buzzer. They lost uh, to, to Sun Valley, who had this kid on the team that ended up being Delaware County all-time leading scorer, uh, finished over 2,000 points in his career. But I left that gym saying to myself, like, Kobe's going to be, be the better player and make more of an impact. So at first it was wait and see, but then finally when I saw Kobe play for the first time, I'm like, yeah, like, I was like, yeah, he's he the truth. And then throughout the year, you know, you follow him. And I covered a couple other games that year involving Kobe. And, um, and, you, and, and you really got to see how special he was. And then by his senior year, it was just crazy. Like, I mean, it's well to – I mean, he was a celebrity. I mean – um, I mean, his senior year is just amazing just through um, the crowds that would be at the games and uh, how policies had changed. And, um, you know, he was he was more, um, you know, more people were around him then. But the one thing I respected about Kobe is he still remembered who I was that year and, you know, still, you know, took time to answer my questions or talk to me or make comments uh, to me. I'll never forget uh, his senior year after they beat Coatesville in the um, – district semifinals and that Coastville team had Rip Hamilton who played with the Pistons and UConn and um, he looked at me and gave me like this knowing grin and said I got something for your boys on Friday night meaning Chester in the district championship game and uh, he he delivered 
and they won. Um, so it was it was pretty cool. So I know that you worked in the sports um, journalism industry for over two decades. So going from that, how has that helped you transition from the role that you're in now? Like what lessons did you learn from that and that you apply every single day at your job that you have now? Uh, really good question. And, you know, it's interesting. I stumbled into uh, sports information by accident uh, because I was at the newspaper and then my alma mater, Lincoln University, said, you know, they wanted to begin their program. They wanted to begin the sports information program. And the next thing you know, I'm like leaving the newspaper and going to sports information because I said, well, I can do this because I see what they do. You know, when you work at the newspaper, you get the press releases. You get the, you know, you get to see So you get to see the stuff. And so I'm like, I can do this. But I think that the biggest lesson that I learned um, that helps me to this day, and it's, uh, this is, I appreciate everybody, is really finding a way to tell the story. You know, everybody has a story. Every student athlete has a story. And to me, stories are more um, more authentic, more transparent. And, um, you know, I think the story, I think stories, I think stories have a way of, of um, bringing everybody together at the same time. So for me, I've always approached everything I've done is uh, athletic communications as, as, uh, as I'm working on a story, if I'm writing a story. You know, I got lucky by last year at the newspaper to cover the Eagles during the year they went to the Super Bowl where they lost to the Patriots in um, 2004. And, you know, we had three people covering the Eagles. I was, I was one of the third people on the coverage of the Eagles every week. And, you know, you just look at how, how pro sports are covered. So you look at how the Eagles are covered, the Phillies, the Sixers, there's like constant stories like every single day about them because the interest is high. And athletic communications, I try to take the same approach with the teams that I cover. Not that you could, not necessarily you, could, you know, do a story, if you have 17 sports, that you can do 17 stories a day or anything like that. But there's some concepts of, um, of reporting, of going beyond the final score, of finding a unique angle and writing about people. And I think covering high school sports helped me with that because when you're covering high school sports, you you know, you always want to have somebody to write about because somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. So you already know to look for the positives. Now when you get to a college and if it's not that, and you know, Lincoln, we had our moments where we were really good in sports and then we had some not so, you know, we had some tough moments where we lost by a lot of points. And, but you know, you are the ambassador for that university and you are the front porch to that university and you're the storyteller. So words matter. So I think, you know, learning that words matter, learning that, um, you can write about people, find out what makes them tick, find out something unique about them, and try to share that so that you can draw an emotional connection with your, um, with your audience. Because the more that they are engaged with your student athletes, then in turn, that can help other areas of your athletic department from fundraising, from um, enrollment standpoint, and you know, just, again, helping coaches with recruiting and, and, and things of that nature. Right. No, I completely agree. I think in any field, it's so important to find that different perspective. And I think especially in journalism, you want to find that one thing that no one else can get. It's not about, you know, you know, researching with that person, asking them a question that you could just find online. It's about digging deeper. And I think that can be applied to any field. So I completely agree. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and again, there's going to come times where, you know, you may have a lot on your plate and, all you can do is say that, you know, that, you know, Lincoln beat 
Kutztown three to one in baseball and Rob Knox had two hits and Kobe had a couple hits or whatever the case may be. But then that's where you become strategic and you kind of balance that and find a way to, okay, wow, Rob is on this five or six game hitting streak now. What's making, what's going on inside that streak? What's, you know, or just find the unique ways to, to deliver information. And I've always, um, I've always said that for me, when I write, I want to, um, I want to educate you. I want to entertain you and I want to engage you. And if I'm not doing one of those three things, then my writing serves no purpose. Mm. I think that's super useful for people, especially applying it to their own career, their own, you know, pieces of writing. You mentioned something there. Uh, if someone is on a, a five to six hitting streak, are you a superstitious kind of guy? Me personally, I'm not. No. But, uh, but, I, but I've learned that people are, so I try yeah. to for that and, you know, give them their space or let them do what they do or anything like that. So you is there sometimes where you see somebody on that streak, you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I should go do a story on them just because I don't want to, you know, mess up their mojo a little bit. Well, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I don't necessarily say that, but I've had coaches say that to me. Hey, can you not mention that? Or can you, you know, keep this out of the article or put it as low as possible in the story or stuff like that? So, again, you know, you, 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 just, you, you just balance it and you just kind of, you know, you let the coach know, hey, it's something that's kind of important. So you just, you know, you kind of, you know, you have to mention it. Um, you know, if the kid doesn't get a hit, it's not because I put it in a story. Or if a kid misses a foul shot, it's not because I say he made 28 straight and then the 29th one he missed uh, with two seconds to go and we lost the game or whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, you, you do – you are respectful. And then when – you know, sometimes I have talked to kids during the middle of a hit streaks and, and wrote stories and wrote features on them. And, you know, sometimes the hit streak continued and – other times it didn't, but um, it didn't impact the relationship or impact the, the work that, that I was doing. So I know, kind of switching gears here, I know that you covered the WNBA for five years. And, you know, being a huge basketball WNBA, NBA fan myself, I wanted to know if there were any problems or issues you saw in the way that female athletics or athletes were covered versus male athletics or athletes. Well, I mean, the, the difference is right away. And for the record, I love the WNBA. If I if I could get paid, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year to cover WNBA, I probably would be the best WNBA writer in the world. I would be like going all over the place and talking to people <laughs> That's and, awesome. and, and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, you you do those a difference. I mean, you know, WNBA uh, from a coverage standpoint, um, there's 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 not as many people at, you know covering their games as there's the NBA. Uh, that that's quite natural, but I will say that the the media that does cover the WNBA um, is they're very passionate and they're very good at what they do, and they um, they're there for pretty much the love of the sport and the love of the um, women that play the game, and the women are very accessible, the women are very uh, down to earth, and you realize that they're just you know regular people. Which I mean, again, they, they are regular people, but you know sometimes. You um, sometimes athletes get put on a pedestal, but you know you realize that you um, they're just regular people. And it's funny, I came across a blog that I had wrote back in 2017 when I covered three WNBA games in a week. You know, using you know using um, personal time from work or days off in between, something like that. But um, I read it and I summed it up. I'm like, wow, you know, I was talking about parenting with Bria Hartley when she's with the Liberty, now she's with the Mercury. 
uh, Tiana Hawkins, who plays for the Mystics, offered me some banana pudding after the game. <laughs> so, you know, so it's like, you know, you, you, you get these moments and you get to know them, they get to know you, you get to see their faces and stuff like that. So, um, so for the time I was covering the WNBA, it was really a hobby because um, I wasn't necessarily getting paid for it. It was a hobby, but it was a love of the sport, and it was a love. For, it was a way for me to keep writing and make a and make a meaningful impact on on the on the league. And you know, in the five years, you know, I you know had the opportunity to write a really. I think one of the best pieces I ever wrote was um, a piece on Skylar Diggins um, in her in her second year. Uh, I got a chance to talk to her for 20 minutes after, right after practice on um, the week after the uh, ESPY Awards when Drake uh, came on and kissed on the floor. She kissed Drake on the forehead and Drake was, you know, all of his kind of diggers crushed. I got a chance to talk to her about that. We had a really good conversation. Uh, I talked to Maya Moore for about 15, 20 minutes uh, a week after she had, uh, post, had wrote uh, in the Players Tribune about the lack of coverage and some of the things that were plaguing the WBA and some suggestions and you know, she was really candid with me. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to talk about Candace Parker and what her daughter means to her as far as, you know, the fact that she's playing for her. And, um, so, you know, I, I feel really good that the the stories that I've been able to share and write and the, and the athletes I've been able to write about in the WNBA, I feel that I've, I've made a uh, significant impact. And uh, for me, because I'm a huge fan of the league, it's more, you know, the first few years was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I'm, you know, I'm a big Rhea Hartley fan, so now I'm interviewing her. This is wonderful. This is like the best thing in the world. Or, you know, I'm a big fan of um, – uh, in 2014, I was able to write about the Phoenix Mercury when they came to New York, and I wrote three stories off, off of their one trip to New York. I wrote a story on Dewana Bonner and Tiffany Bias and Candace Dupree, and then they ended up beating the Liberty that night. So I ended up writing a piece about the Liberty because they finished, I mean, the Liberty, the uh, Mystic, geez, the Mercury, because they finished with the best record in the league that year. And, and they were just like really um, one of the best teams ever. So, you know, to know, the, to be around some of that and to experience it was, um, was really fun. And then, you know, not this past, I didn't do a lot of WNBA this year, um, you know, but last year I covered the, you know, I covered game three, of the WNBA finals when the Seattle Storm beat the, um, Mystics for the championship. So to actually be in the arena and see them build the stage and see them celebrate and then be in the locker room when they're, you know, popping champagne and stuff like that was, uh, was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I respect that so much. Like I've never heard someone be so passionate about the WNBA and I just like, it's, it's amazing. We do need more coverage and I, I love it. That's awesome. I agree. I mean, I wish, you know, honestly, like I said earlier, I mean, if I got paid sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year to cover the WNBA, I would be right there. I'd be right there courtside. I'd be taking jets everywhere, be running up <laughs> bills, be going from here to there. And you know, I've been fortunate to cover games in Indiana, so uh, I've been to um, Bankers Life Fieldhouse and, and, and talked to uh, Tiffany Mitchell uh, before a game um, for, for a feature, and you know, and, and to see Tamika Ketchies come up to me and recognize who I am. You know, she may not remember my name or anything like that, but she knows my face. Right. And, um, so, so yeah, it's 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 really fun. I've covered games at uh, at Dallas before, where I, you know I talked to Skylar Diggins. Uh, this was uh, I forget what what phase she was in at that point, but um, you know, yeah, I, I just uh, I remember all my like I basically remember all my uh, WBA interviews like they just happened yesterday. <laughs> where did that? I mean. Did you just so happen 
to come across the WNBA and you became a fan? Was it you got to know the players? Like where where did this passion come from? Well, I think the the passion started uh when the league started in 1997, but what really got me hooked on women's basketball was 1996 and the uh, USA Olympic team. Um, that was, I mean, they, they did the barnstorming tour throughout the year. And then, you know, they dominated the Olympics in Atlanta. And I was like, oh my God, I have to watch this team. I have to see them play. I want to see them play. Uh, you know, you know, Dawn Staley, you know, I grew up in Chester. She grew up in Philly. So I was already familiar with her. Um, you know, there was times I would watch the, the uh, women's tournament when I was an undergrad at Lincoln. And, um, you know, I've always developed that passion for women's basketball back then. But then when the WBA started, I was like, oh, my God, I have to get there. And when I was at the newspaper, the first WBA game I went to was down in D.C. when D.C. had a uh, franchise. Um, you know, my first interview was with, uh, was it, yeah, Shamika Holesclaw, uh, Tamika Dixon, Lisa Leslie. There was like the, because they wanted, because it was a Sparks and, and Mystics and, I was a big fan of Tamika Dixon at the time. And um, and I was like, oh, my God, this is great. And then a couple of years later, I got a chance to cover the 2002 WBA All-Star Game. And um, what was 2002? 2002 was in New York. 2003 was in D.C. Or maybe I got it reversed, one of those years. But 2004 was also uh, – was 2004 was interesting because that was at Radio City Music Hall. And he did WBA All-Stars against USA Basketball because that was an Olympic year. But, um you know, just, just following some of the, the, the OGs of, of the WNBA. I mean, I interviewed Tina Thompson uh, before, after the All-Star game. And, uh, and you know, it's fun because, you know, because, again, you just make a connection. They're really, they're really happy for the coverage. So just being able to make the connection uh, with them and, you know, just really speak uh, their language and be, be down to earth and be real cool with them uh, is, is, is really good. And I've always followed the league. And then – um, you know, once I got the opportunity in 2014 to really cover the league, uh, thanks to Meryl Greenberg, uh, to like, you know, cover the league, I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. And then 2000, real quick, 2015, I, um, I got a season, you know, I had a season credential for the Mystics. So I was like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. Then I started, you know, traveling, going up to New York uh, for, for games. And, you know, I was just around it a lot. So again, I became a familiar face. They, the players may not remember my name, but, you know, they they knew my face. And then uh, back then, you know, it was a big deal when Swin, Ca Swin Cash retweeted one of the stories I wrote about her. And so then it was like, wow, you get retweeted, you get retweeted by the WBA. So it's just like, it, it was really, it was, a, it was fun. It was a rush. And, you know, but then the more I started doing it, not saying that I lost the passion because I didn't, I realized how difficult it was, it was to keep up that level of what I wanted to do based on what I could do with, uh, with my time and, you know, having a family and things of that nature. And that's that, I mean, you know, let's get back to your personal journey. Um, one of the resources you shared with us in there, it talked about how your journey started in 2013 when you were, you know, kind of told that ESPN's future didn't include you. I mean, you know, tell me about that experience and how it led you down this path of you working now, doing what you do. Well, ESPN, um, ESPN was fun. It was great. So much at, uh, at ESPN. And um, I don't regret my time there at all. It was, it was great. Um, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes in life, um, you know, things, uh, things have a way of working themselves out and, 
wow, that was like my ultimate goal to work at ESPN and I accomplished it. Um, you realize, you know, that sometimes you, 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 you get in somewhere and there's, there's struggle with it. So, you know, the good thing about ESPN is you, you learn so much and you use apps that nobody else in the world use. So, you know, so the learning curve is always, you know, every day. So, you know, it felt like, you know, every time I was get something, like, okay, great, but, you know, you needed to know this by yesterday. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, when, when 2013 came around, um, you know, ESPN went through a lot of cuts at, you know, at, at, at that time. And, um, you know, you, you, you know, you, you become, you become um, caught up in that and, you know, it's, it's all good. Uh, I wasn't, you know, upset. I didn't cry, and, you know, nothing. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I, I always believe in being a positive person. So, you know, I take the, you know, you always look for the bright side of something and it was a blessing in disguise. And, um, you know, I was able to use what I learned at ESPN as far as, again, content, um, people, um, learning new ways to tell stories through numbers, which I necessarily didn't do before I got to ESPN. Um, great people um, at ESPN, um, awesome leadership. And, um, you know, it led me back into athletic communications. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, network uh, ahead of time and have a lot of good relationships before, you know, when I left athletic communications to go to ESPN. And the good thing is I was able to leverage a lot of those relationships to help me get back into uh, the business. And actually, um, because I went through the whole process of applying for jobs uh, after I left ESPN. And, you know, because you hear people in your air, oh, you'll be fine. You got ESPN, you easily get a job. You easily get a job. Well, it wasn't that simple. You know, it, you know, uh, you know I, I would apply for positions and, you know, I've, I've had my share of no's. I've had a share of doors closed in my face and, um, you know, I'm human. So, you know, but I never let it break me. I continue to be, uh, I continue to persevere. I continue to be patient. And I continue to pray. And those things there, prayer, perseverance, and patience, um, you know, helped me get to Coppin State because the good thing at Coppin State was um, the assistant men's basketball coach, KJ, he remembered me from my time at Lincoln. And he remembered the kind of person I was, the kind of work that I did, because he had worked at Cheney. And they needed an SID because theirs had abruptly quit. So next thing I know, I'm – you know, I'm in Connecticut, and they're like, well, can you come here? So, you know, you got to talk to them, you know, I got to talk with my wife and, you know, convince her that this is the right, you know, right spot. And, you know, Coppin State was a perfect fit for me and it enabled me to get back into athletic communications and also enabled me to work at a Division One school, which, you know, when you work in athletic communications, when you start out as a young pup, you know, the goal is Division One, I, I guess. But, you know, now that I'm like, you know, 20 years into my career, you know, I don't really care whether it's Division One, Two, or Three where I work because it's more about when you get older. It's more about impact than it is anything else. Than status. So you know, if I could be somewhere where I have opportunity to make an impact, then for me, that's the um, that's that's the greatest that's the greatest part of everything. And so in, be, during my transition from ESPN to Coppin State, in between is kind of where I landed all these great writing opportunities with the WNBA. Uh, through Mel, because I said, hey, Mel, you got any opportunities for me, right? He's like, I got you. Um, Pat Coleman from D3Hoops.com, um, 
Um, it's like, I got you. Uh, so, I, so I wrote for D3Hoops.com for two years. Well, three years. Three years. One year as the regional columnist, and then I transitioned to the national columnist. Um, and, and again, just the opportunity to tell stories, to write, to just do what I really love to do and make a difference through words. Right. And what you were saying before about it is really in the sports industry, especially it is really about who, you know, and the connection that you make, the relationships that you make in prior jobs, because those people remember who the type of person you were. And even if you meet someone who's not working in the same field you are, they probably most likely know someone else who is, and that's how you, you know, leveraging your connections and everything like that. And I think that that's especially important in the sports industry. Uh, it, I mean, it definitely is. And, and sometimes it's not even so much like who you know or whatever the case may be. It's more like who knows you. Um, because, you know, you got to think about it. Sometimes our names are in rooms that we have not entered yet. And, and you're sitting there like, well, how did this also know about me? Or how did they know about me? Because, again, this was, uh, you know, the, the UNC um, Greensboro position, UNCG Greensboro, uh, position was kind of similar, kind of like that, where they were aware of me before I was aware that they were looking for somebody. And, you know, however that came about, you know, I have no clue, but I like to think it was because of the work that I did at Towson. You know, I spent five really good years at Towson and, you know, some wonderful people, also student athletes, great staff, terrific coaches, dedicated coaches, passionate coaches. And um, and real and, and and terrific coworkers that helped prepare me for the opportunity that that I'm fortunate to have now. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really key that not only are you good to people, but you have to excel in your role. You have to be where you, be where your feet are planted right now, and take care of the present because your future takes care of itself when you take care of today. And you know the the, the biggest thing is just running your race, you know, in this social, in the social world, we all get, we all get sidetracked. We all get like, Oh, I want to do this. Uh, because, uh, you know, Rob did X, Y, Z. And he look, he posts on his page. He's stunting and, you know, Kobe stunting this, that, the other, but I'm stuck here at my job. I'm never going to get out of here. Uh, you just got to run your race because everybody's everybody, um, time is is different and you know i tweeted recently that god's timing is undefeated and at the end of the day it is you know you may think it's your time right now but god says it's not and you just got to keep being patient and keep praying and keep being persistent and just keep doing um doing those things um that uh that you're good at yeah that's super important especially during a time like this that that patience and persistence and understanding God's timing and different things like that, especially with everything going on. I know there's a lot of people that's graduating college right now and is looking at the landscape of things and they're like, what next? What can I do? I mean, everything's at a hiring freeze and things like that. So I think them hearing that coming from you, you know, persistence and patience is what they really need to practice is do the things you can now set yourself up for the future. Um, if I, I have to mention it, you know, it's part of your story. And if we didn't mention it, we wouldn't be doing our job on the podcast. But I mean, you were the second African American president of Cosida in their 64 year history. Tell us a little bit about that, how that came about and, and your experience as the Cosida president at the time. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, the experience as Cosida president was phenomenal. It was great. It was, it was a whirlwind year. 
to, to say the least. Uh, but it was a great year representing our organization and being, uh, being the face of our organization uh, for a year. And just and, and, I, and the thing that I respect and am still all, the, all to this day about is um, to be elected to the officer's rotation. You know, people saw the passion that I had for the profession, the passion for our membership, um, you know, and, and the will to really make a difference. And, you know, it, you know, helping our members understand that it's okay to advocate for yourself and educating athletic directors uh, with confidence, say, hey, uh, really think about your athletic communications position um, because if you have a really strong athletic communicator or, af or athletic communication staff, it's going to really make your job easier. Or think about these uh, Think about these things as as you go through your day to day. So whenever I talk to the athletic directors, and they raised on their SIDs. I loved it. It just it just made it just made my heart melt because because they they get it and they understand the value of of what we do. But uh, co-signer president, I mean, you know, definitely a lot of work on top of the the responsibilities I had at Towson because I had to make sure that the Towson work was taken care of first. Um, you know, I could not go to my supervisor at Towson and say, "Well, yeah, I didn't get these game notes done because I was." Uh, or in the conference call, or I had to travel to this uh, meeting, or I had to do this, this, that, and the other. So, um, you know, the, the good thing is it forced me to prioritize, it forced me to um, value time management, and it, it, uh, it forced me to, um, to, to be deliberate with, with stuff. So a lot of times I would do co-signing stuff late at night um, instead of sleeping, so I would maybe put in a couple extra hours with Cosider after my family went to bed. And then during the day, with the exception of an occasional conference call in the middle of the day, it was all about Towson. When I traveled on the road, it was about Towson. You know, there, there may have been moments in, in the hotel where I could have opened up the laptop and done some Cosider things. But overall, it was, it was a terrific experience. And I think when I go through, when you go through the rotation, you go through everything, you don't necessarily think about being the, the second African-American president um, in Cosider's history. I mean, obviously it's a fact and you jot it down and it is a wow factor because, you know, on one hand you're like, well, we shouldn't really be celebrating it. Uh, you know, but at the same time, the first one in 32 years, I was like, why did it take so long? Uh, so that's why I'm happy that Jess Poole in three years is going to be the first African-American female ever to be president and then it means that there's only a gap of three to four years between myself and Jess. So that, that really makes me proud. And even our board now is the most diverse board in the history of Cosida. Um, Herb Vincent of the SEC uh, has, has Hispanic background. He has Hispanic roots. Um, Sam Atkinson, who's going to be our president next year, is, works at a Division III school. Cin uh, Cynthia Potter, who's our second vice president, she works at an NAIA school. So... So our board, you know, is reflective of our, our leadership, is reflective of our membership, where we have large school, we have small school, we have female, we have black, we have white, we have Hispanic. So, um, so I'm, I'm really excited to, to be part of that. And a lot of the things that COSIDA has going on right now uh, is, is really uh, empowering for our members. We started an advocacy committee last year, which is one of the things that I was really happy about. Um, and now we have a group of members that's going to advocate on behalf of our whole organization. Um, you know, so and the advocacy committee has really come in handy, obviously now more so than ever um, during, during this pandemic. 
So I just think that, uh, you know, the whole experience of being co-signed president was phenomenal, just serving on the leadership and leading a major organization. I mean, like I said, when you, when you stop and think about it, you're like, wow, I really did that. I really accomplished, I really was president for a year and I really went through it and I did it. And, you know, the organization is in a better place moving forward. Not, again, not because of me, it was already in a good place uh, from um, the people I learned from, Rob Carolla, Andy Silly, Judy Wilson, and, um, you know, Doug Vance and, and Barb Koal and Lori Bolig and Bo White and Will Rolson, just just the whole the whole leadership of of um, of Cosider. So it's not just one person that's doing it. You you get help from from all over. But it's um, it was one of the blessings of my life and something I'll never forget and something I will always <laughs> uh, always cherish. And one of the things that about the presidency last year is I traveled all the time. So. You know, I was in Pittsburgh, Columbus, Ohio, Atlanta, West Palm Beach, Orlando twice, Marco Island, New York. Uh, and this is on top of basketball, uh, basketball travel. So, yeah, I was I was on the go off the last year. I still don't know how I survived it. That's amazing, Rob. Well, is there, you know, to wrap it up, is there any lasting words? And then also, where can people find you on the social media platforms? Uh, I love social media. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always on everything. Uh, Twitter is at KnoxRob1. So that's at K-N-O-X-R-O-B, the number one. Uh, Instagram, Rob from Chester, PA. And, um, you know, just, just last words, man. You just, you just got to love what you do. You, you, you have to be passionate about it. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing is easy. Nothing is given to you. Uh, you know, we all know that. You got to work for it. Uh, because the thing about sports and jobs and sports, they're competitive for, you know, for every position, you know, everybody wants to glamor and say, you know, I want to work with the Dallas Cowboys. Or I want to work with the Philadelphia Eagles. Or I want to work in the NBA. Um, it takes work to get there. And, you know, it takes, it, it does take some sacrifices, does take some hours, but, uh, but there's ways you can be efficient and still be um, awesome. And I highly encourage anybody listening to this is to make sure you invest in yourself. Um, you know, especially, you know, especially now during, during this pandemic, there's a lot of free webinars. There's a lot of uh, free courses that you could use to like some professional development or you can just read, just, just read, you know, spend some time, read some books if you haven't done so or whatever the case may be. But the more, this is what I learned the last few years, the more you invest in yourself, the better your organization is going to be because you are getting better and you're using that to help your organization. So if I, if, yeah, if I can say anything to anybody, I would say invest in yourself. And again, I'll go back to my three P's. Just be patient, be persistent, and pray. Well, you heard it, people. That's how you get a hold of Rob on social media. But like he said, invest in yourself. And to all of you listening, like we always say, we are all on our own individual journeys, but you are not alone.